Welcome to Mosaic, the EDC podcast. Mosaic is a place to explore pressing challenges in education, health, and economic opportunity with EDC staff around the world. I'm your host, Burke Ronofsky, senior writer at EDC, and joining me today is Carrie Parker. Carrie is an educational researcher who studies opportunity gaps in education, and she's done extensive research on the issues facing English learners in the United States. I've invited her on the podcast to talk about some of the barriers that English learners face and how districts can improve services for this population. So Carrie, it's great to have you here. Thanks for taking some time to talk to me about this important issue. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Let's just start with the basics. So you study English learners. Um, Can you define the term English learner for me? And do we know how many English learners there are in the United States? Sure. So um, English learners are students who um, are not able to learn the content uh, that they need to be learning in the English language. And so they need support to actually learn English. Um, And right now there are about 4.5 million English learners in the U.S., and that's about 9.5% of the student population. And that's been growing um, over the last 10 or 15 years, and it's continuing to grow. And what sort of diversity is there within this this group or this cohort of of English learners? So there's actually a huge amount of diversity. Um, One thing is about 75% of English learners are Spanish speakers. And within the other 25%, there are hundreds of different languages. But then beyond language alone, there are are other points of diversity. Uh, One is the level of English that students come with. Um, Some students come with with absolutely no English at all, and those are the ones that really um, need the most support uh, to learn English while others come with, with stronger levels of English. Um, they also come with varied backgrounds in their, in their native languages and varied levels of education. So some students uh, may come from uh, refugee situations, and, and those students have very different needs than students who, have, who come from formal schooling in their home countries. So I know you've done, you've done a lot of research on English learners and sort of how they, how they fare in schools. What can you tell me about the educational achievements of English learners within American schools? Like how do, how do they fare when compared to native English speakers and I guess what's, what's the overall landscape facing this population? So that's actually a harder question to answer than we would want it to be, um, and that's partly because of how English learners are um, are identified or how they're classified. So an English learner is they start out as an English learner, but once as they as they learn English, they uh, get reclassified into being an English proficient, and so then they're no longer counted as an English learner um, when you're talking about achievement. Um, and so what a number of researchers are saying is, what if we actually thought about the group of ever English learners, and if if we looked at students who are ever classified as English learners and how they how they achieve over their lifetime in schools and then we would be able to see that students who come in as English learners then learn English and then are proficient um, are actually very successful um, as, as they go on the students who stay as English learners are the ones who are um, struggling for for many different issues but but what that what ends up happening is if we only look at students who are currently English learners, we're always going to see students who are not achieving well. And that isn't a fair reflection of the population of students who come in, learn English, and then are very successful. So that's interesting. So it sounds like part of, part of the challenge facing this population is just we don't have enough data about not so much who they are, but what they're able to achieve once they pass out of this English language cohort. Right. 
And, and there's actually has been a recognition over the years and within recent policy, including um, ESSA, the Every Student Succeeds Act, that we, that we, need to, um, we, we need to be counting English learners for a longer period of time. So previously, when English learners got reclassified as English proficient, you could count them as English learners for two years afterwards. And now you can do it for up to four years afterwards. So that definitely helps, to, um, for, helps districts to be able to look and see, okay, how are we doing with our students over a longer period of time? We're, we're still losing those, uh, those students who five, six years out were, are no longer counted as English learners, but it's, it's getting better. So I know you've also done a lot of research on dual identified learners. First of all, can you describe what a dual identified learner is? And then what has your research shown you about, again, what, what struggles these students are facing or, or what, what barriers are, are in their way? Sure. Uh, so officially, a duly identified student is a student that has two identifications, one as an English learner and another as a student with a disability. And um, there are many complicating issues uh, for, uh, for these duly identified students. Uh, one begins at the very beginning with the identification process. So when English learners come in and start to learn English, some, some take longer than others. And there are many reasons why teachers may decide that they, that they might have a disability. But one of the problems is it's very difficult sometimes to figure out what is simply a process of learning English versus what is actually a disability. Um, partly that goes to a larger issue that understanding what a learning disability is, whether or not you're an English learner, is not as cut and dried as we might want it to be. And so um, schools and districts really vary in how they determine what a disability is, whether for an English learner or for a non-English learner. And what this means for English learners is that um, students who may not actually have a disability may be identified with one and then uh, get placed in uh, special education services where they might not be getting the English language uh, services that they actually need. So it gets, it gets all complicated with different rules and regulations as to what, what services students need as opposed to really thinking about what instructional strategies will help each student uh, succeed as best they can. So hearing you talk about English learners, dual identified students as well. I'm, I'm wondering whether there are certain things that you think schools or districts can do to improve services either for dual identified students or for English learners. Sure. And I would say one, one big thing that uh, schools and districts can think about is collaboration. And what I mean by this is um, having uh, people with special education expertise and people with English learner expertise coming together and talking together um, about the programs and services that they offer and how best to meet the needs of the students and not staying in the silos that they tend to stay in. Um, and then related to that, I would also say um, there, if schools and teachers can really focus on identifying the instructional strategies that will best help each student and not worry so much about the label um, that, that, that they place on that student, but really focus on how, how, to, um, how to instruct the student to help them succeed. So I'm interested in some of the research that you're doing right now around English learners. Can you tell me about it? Sure. Uh, I'm actually really excited because I'm going to be able to do some case studies. Uh, usually I do quantitative research uh, where I use large data sets and understand student experiences and outcomes based on, on large, uh, large data. But in this case, I'm going to be able to actually go into a number of different schools and understand more about the processes that happen um, in, in the process of, taking, of working with English learners who are struggling and how you um, either identify or do not identify them with disabilities and then what happens 
happens to those students. Um, and so I, I mentioned earlier that um, I really advocate moving away from focusing on this disability identification and moving more towards identifying what services and instructional strategies are going to be most helpful for students. And what I think is going to happen in these case studies is that I'll find some schools that are focused more on rules and uh, disability identifications and categories um, and other schools that are focused more on instructional strategies and services. And I, I think that there will be situations where students either are better served or not uh, are not better served by one or, or, or the other of those strategies. Um, and one of the things that, that we worry about with duly identified students is that they don't necessarily get the services that they need because they may be identified with a disability and then not get um, access to English language services. And so we'll be able to see whether or not that actually happens, whether there are students that sort of fall through the cracks and end up um, perhaps being misidentified with a disability and then not actually getting the, the instructional strategies that, that would help them learn English. So I know it's, it's early on and you haven't actually done the research yet, but uh, looking down the road, how are you hoping that this research either informs the field or informs practice? Yeah, and we've, we've actually talked about that a lot with the, because we're designing this research in collaboration with both with state and district people who are also really interested in this in this work. And they are have identified a particular interest in um, in helping uh, district and school people um, have the tools that they need to make some of these decisions because there's p teachers are under huge pressure. There's there are time pressures and they just don't have the time to do everything that they need to do. And so if we can um, use some of the findings from these case studies to identify the typical ways in which decisions might be getting made incorrectly, we can help uh, prevent that um, by, by helping to design professional development or providing templates um, that can help people make the, help people with that decision-making process. And so the state and district people that I'm working with are actually really excited about the possibilities of there being something very concrete that comes out of these studies that will help um, English learners get better services. Great. Well, it sounds really exciting. We'll have to check in again in about a year or so. Okay. Thanks. All right. Thanks so much, Gary. Yep.